Callender, our radio buddy to the west out there in Asheville, where I'm assuming since the storm's neglected to hit here with the ferocity we were promised for three days, I'm assuming Asheville is rubble, right? Because it had <laughs> to go right. somewhere. That's right. Just just utter devastation. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it's just it, it was terrible. We actually did not get a lot of it. A lot of it passed uh, to our south, I want to say. Um, and so we were kind of sure. watching it just to make sure, but, uh, it, you know, old habits are hard to break. So during the height of the rain, I, I did run out and just, you know, scream into the storm, just you right. know, reliving the old glories as a reporter. It just, uh, like, I, I felt the need to plant the flag and tell everybody to stay home while I'm outside. You know, if you don't need to travel, Please don't travel like I just did to this spot to tell people not to travel. You know, I, so I, I it just, you know, it, it becomes second nature. You know, you just can't. It's some of those habits are very difficult to snap. I if I had to pick my favorite jackass moment in in the way that uh, TV covers storms now, and you know the problem is, and you you and I both know this because we've been privy to the ratings. They wouldn't do it if it didn't work. Bingo. And and they get monster double digit ratings during this stuff, and and. The, my favorite is when there's snow uh, or ice, and they have the station van, which always has the flashy circular yellow light or whatever on it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they are on the freeway, 13 inches from some guy's ass, right? <laughs> and they're going, and they're going. Look at this guy; he could barely stay in his lane. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, because he thinks you're a plow, and you're right behind him. He's terrified. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and I, also, know, I will tell you as uh, when you when you pull over, if you are in media, and I'm not sure that people realize this either, but when you pull the van over to the side of the road to do uh, you know a live shot, get some video or whatever, you actually create the traffic jam at that point because now people want to see what you are covering right on the side of the road. And, uh, oh, my gosh, the TV crew wouldn't be there unless there was something newsworthy happening. So let me slow down. And then, of course, it creates the chain reaction. So uh, oftentimes I I actually I I had a lot of fun with this uh, when I. Uh, was doing uh, the afternoon gig in Asheville. I created what I called Snowman on the Street, which you know the man on the street uh, right. concept, right? Which now are we allowed mm-hmm. to say man on the street? Is it just is it person on the street? That's a POS. I think it's uh, that's I, I think not it's the same. La, uh, I think it's Latinx on the street. Lat- so <laughs> so yeah, the I'm person sure. on the street, or it used to be called man on the street, which is basically just hey, let's go out onto the street, find some person, stick a mic in their face, ask their opinion, and then broadcast that as if it has value you that everybody should uh, uh, should receive. And so uh, I would go and I said, look, we don't have a newsroom anymore. So I'm going to deputize everybody to become news reporters for this coverage. And in doing so, we amassed the largest uh, news uh, deputized force in Western North Carolina for the purpose of the snowstorm. And, uh, you know, then we put that in our branding and, you know, we we advertise and promote the fact that we had the largest news core during the storm, right? Because we had thousands of people that were calling in and would say, uh, you know, what's the mood in their neck of the woods and how much snow is on the ground? And they would file reports. Oh, it was a lot of fun and quite valuable to everybody who I told to stay home. Well, you know what? It's all about one upsmanship. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is really, I mean, 
I remember when RAL, RAL unveiled like their new weather doom truck, like <laughs> right. some big Toyota that they got. <laughs> and so we here, we here at the show, literally, we got one of these. The KCO Day radio program. Snowmageddon. Nice. Yeah, so we got, we've got a repurposed Panzer. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so it's fun with them, yeah. It, this uh, it, it goes to the remember uh, probably what in the nineties there was sort of the arms race of Doppler radar kinds of things. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you you had to brand the super extra max double Doppler system, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, like you said, it's because it sells, and also part of that is that the focus groups, you know. When, when you bring people in and you ask them what they want to see in a news report, most people are not comfortable telling you that they want to see the blood, the guts, the crime, the sex stories. They don't want to say that. So it's like, oh, I watch for the weather. And so yeah, that becomes, yeah, you, yeah, you know, that, that becomes the story. But yes, it is. People do watch the weather. They want to tune in, get the weather. What's it, what's happening in my area? And then they'll they'll move on about their day. Yeah, I was just real quickly on your uh, to your point about the vehicles pulling over. This has nothing to do with my career in news or radio, but rather my wayward youth. So during the summer, I would go over to Yellowstone because my uncle was he worked in Yellowstone, so I could stay there. It was a lot of fun. And me and my cousins thought it was the funniest damn thing to drive around Yellowstone National Park, where you know, like convoys of vehicles start, and then we would whip over to the side of the road. And then just start taking pictures into an empty valley, and you will cause <laughs> you will cause fifteen other vehicles to pull over to get a picture to of the, a picture. the the moose bear deer or you know whatever's not right. there, and then we would just drive off, man. And we just we just entertain ourselves doing that all day. That was the funniest damn thing. So. Life before internet. <laughs> That's right. You got to you got to make your own fun on the frontier. That's all right, right. So uh, on to some uh, on to some more serious news and. Um, we we heard announcement earlier this week, and the story that went with it was bonkers from the lieutenant governor who said that um, he was going to put together a task force, uh, which is the acronym for it is FACTS, and they were going to work to ensure that students in North Carolina public schools, should they actually have to go to school, mm-hmm. um, do not get indoctrinated. And the story he told was of a student, a female student, who wanted to, for Black History Month, do a report on him since he's the first black lieutenant governor, and she was told no, do one on Tupac, and that was the that was the anecdote he shared. Uh, my question is, anytime I hear blue ribbon commission or task force and governments involved, I don't assume it accomplishes anything. Mm-hmm. But the amount of hate and pushback he's getting, maybe he will accomplish something. What do you think? So I thought uh, number one, it was interesting that nobody told that story. Um, like I'm looking at the News and Observer's editorial board, which how do you how do you amass people for an editorial board that have such blind spots that they will do a an editorial about this talking about critical race theory and anti-racism, right? These these ideologies that have swept through the university and are now infiltrating K through 12 public schools. How do you do an editorial about that without ever talking about that it is it really is impressive and amazing like like these stories they are real right there are teachers that are doing these things critical race theory and anti-racism these things are being taught and there are people who oppose them and it's not just republicans there are people john mcquarter has written against this uh 
Glenn Lowry has has he does a podcast show, a YouTube show. This is the the youngest ever uh, tenured professor of economics who was black at Harvard at age thirty three. He does a YouTube and a podcast, and he's all about you know opposition to this stuff. You've got a ton of black intellectuals that are like this thing is destructive and dangerous, right. and you've got a school board member, the state school board member James Ford, uh, during this debate on the social studies standards and history standards that got adopted by the Board of Education. Uh, and he, in, in one of the meetings uh, during the vote, he literally says that, you know, we can't be using the uh, K through 12 schools to teach people that, you know, America is great. That's not the purpose of education. Um, he says, you know, that's not going to change anything for us. Well, wait, what? so what does that mean? So you're saying that using K through 12 education is supposed to change things for us. Well, what would you like to change? So in order to understand critical race theory, here's the deal is that America is inherently racist. All of its institutions, its legal institutions, right? All of it is inherently systemically racist. And so it must be torn down. And if you are not helping to tear it down, then you're complicit. And this is actually, it's kind of interesting with the, uh, rhetoric about anti-Asian uh, hate crimes and stuff, these attacks that, that's now all in the news. Right, That yes. the same people who are, who are you know, foisting this anti-racism CRT garbage on everybody, uh, they, the same people, like the founder of the 1619 Project, she's called Asian Americans, quote, white adjacent, because they mm-hmm. are complicit in the system, and the system values meritocracy. See, that's the problem. And really, when you scrape the surface of this stuff, you know what it all comes down to? It's always the same. It's Marxism, right? They're anti-capitalist because capitalism rewards um, meritocracy, right? It rewards excellence and rationalism. And so you can't have these things if you're going to set new rules for everybody because CRT relies on the struggle. And as does all Marxist ideology, you've got to pit different groups of people against each other in the struggle. And if it can't be a class struggle, well, we'll make it a race struggle. And that's what this is about. And if you can't recognize that this is what the fight really is, and so what Lieutenant Governor uh, Robinson is attempting to do is to compile the data. And I'm old enough to remember when people in the media were all about compiling data, like, I don't know, just to pick a random example, uh, the number of police shootings of black people. Like, uh, like oh, you want the data, yeah. right? You want the data, and I support that. You want that data to be collected so you know, is there a problem? Where's there a problem? How do you fix the problem? That's what I think the purpose of this is. But, of course, everybody's like, they're going to use it to intimidate teachers. You mean like how teachers intimidate parents? And students who aren't on board with the critical race theory, like kind of like that. Did you see? Did you see that story out of Loudoun County, Virginia? I did indeed. Or, I did indeed. You yes. see that? So that's a, that's a perfect segue. See, I just I toss you the softball. You just well, knock figured, it right out of the park. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who weren't uh, listening to the show yesterday, because I don't know, you're huddling with your kids, awaiting the storm of the century. Terrible people. You too. had a face. Yeah, you had a Facebook group up in Loudoun County, Virginia, which included. Uh, uh, even the the elected prosecutor. Yeah. And basically they were compiling names of parents who were up to and including indifferent to the idea of critical race theory being introduced in the schools. So if they were negative to indifferent, they were compiling their information so they could essentially dox and harass these people. And right. these were teachers. These were teachers doing this to parents. One of them was a school board member. 
Uh, well, and then the, the other one was the elected county prosecutor was uh, one of those George Soros elected uh, yeah. prosecutors. Right. And so, so so that's and that that really it, it's a perfect example, because if you are a parent right in Loudoun County and you were neutral on critical race theory, you were seen as part of the problem as well. And that's that is really at the core of it, because if you're not interested in fighting the fight with them, then you are complicit in the racist system. And so you are no better than an actual racist. See, so it's uh, it's the way they they force recruitment into their ranks to get people to bend to their will because they don't want to be harassed. So, again, I I don't understand why this is such a a problem for uh, people who are, you know, ostensibly educated uh, to understand this is the this is what the fight is over. Uh, I understand you may have a different opinion about the uh, about the outcome you want to see from that fight. But this is what the fight is over. And to not identify it when your job is to literally inform people about the truth of these things, I think is uh, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I saw another story and I I, I couldn't help but think of a conversation that we had about the uh, repurposed uh, version or potential version of the Vance Monument. (laughs) <laughs> Did you see yesterday where some people thought it would be a good idea to show solidarity with the Asian community by black, by do you remember when Black Lives Matter used a black square on social media to show solidarity? Mm-hmm. Like a whole, uh, so yesterday they tried to get it going that people would put a yellow square. Mm-hmm. And believe, believe it or not, there are a lot of people of Asian heritage who don't like being represented <laughs> by anything, by something yellow. <laughs> shockingly enough yes right i well it goes back to you mentioned the term latinx like this is a term that academia you know probably white leftists created and the latino and hispanic community they do not like this term they don't like it and they look at it as hey you're trying to destroy our language because our language relies heavily on you know feminine and masculine versions of words exactly so you you putting an x there you're kind of rewriting our language and who do you think you are to do that? Uh, it's I had I had fun I had fun asking people you know because I got friends that live in Costa Rica and I have a lot of and then they you have, have a lot of Hispanic friends is that what you're saying you've got a lot no, of no, Latino no, no, friends no 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 they were their friends so <laughs> it's it's even worse separation there but I remember, I'm sitting I'm sitting around with some of these guys and I, and you know the conversation would inevitably drift there when people find out what I do for a living. And they think it's the I have not heard anyone of of any Latin background go, you know, this is a good idea. And I think I saw it polled in a PPP polling at like three percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and if PPP isn't overselling it, I don't know who would. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's as it's as popular as like Congress, hemorrhoids and the media. Like that's that's how popular of a movement that is. It is it's it's people with too much time on their hands thinking about stuff that doesn't matter, trying to force changes to the language. And look, they're they're they are. Uh, they are having success on this front because once you get enough people of a like mind on this garbage, they then can control things like the language. And you saw, I'm sure, adding words into the dictionary. Uh, you know, the supposedly uh, was right. the example I think that everybody was was keying on. Uh, but when you get to rewrite the dictionary and rewrite the language, then, yeah, you get to control the terms of the debate. And that's that's Orwellian. It's scary, uh, especially if you're going to reduce everybody down to the color of their skin, which is precisely what critical race theory does. And I'm also sure you you saw the 
Uh, was it the write-up at theroot.com where the, oh, the yeah. writer said, yeah, whiteness is the pandemic and it has to be eradicated. Okay, so now we're talking genocide? Is that is that the next step? Ah, now, you, now why do you got to bring up genocide is what they'd say. Well, they he, he say wrote it. No, he said, no, it's he said the eradicated. Pa- yeah, he said eradicate whiteness. Yeah, look at you trying Tanning to spin beds? It. Is that is that spin a, a person of color's uh, article there, Pete Callender, you white guy? So uh, yeah. what is the solution then tanning beds for everybody? Is that the idea? I don't I don't know, man. I what don't if know. I don't I, tan? I don't know if I could be aso- I mean, in fact I, I I don't know that I could be associated with you anymore. Huh. Questioning the root. Uh, yeah. So if people want to be associated with you, they're going to have to go to petecallendershow.com. That's fair. Tough but fair. So, yeah, and uh check out the podcast, all the good stuff there. All right, sir. It's been a uh, fruitful conversation, and uh, we will uh, we'll try better next week. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have a good You're weekend. Not canceled. All right. All right. Thanks, there Casey. Welcome back to America. Yeah, I'm gonna probably get out of here. Everything's <laughs> nuts. So. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs>